Uh, would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1? We'll be on page 807, 807. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing. That was very encouraging to my heart as well. We do need a Sabbath. We do need rest. And God is good when we seek Him in that rest. Um, so we look at this passage this morning. Uh, too often, modern families are they're pulled apart. And they're tossed about by uh, the crucible of modern life. Uh, through sometimes intensity of, and pain of divorce, uh, sometimes dysfunction, sometimes abandonment. And this leaves many of us, and you probably experienced this or, or know someone who, who's experienced this, but you know, we, we walk around sometimes with little idea of who we are and where we've come from. And somewhere deep down inside us, we want to know that. Where did I come from? We want to somehow understand uh, that a great part of who we are can be explained by our roots. Uh, that yearning helps explain some of the incredible popularity of genealogy DNA testing. It is the rage these days. It's been on sale all Christmas season here. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. I read recently that especially in, it's interesting to me because especially in millennial gatherings, when they gather together, they'll discuss uh, what test results came back from their 23andMe or Ancestry.com test results. The do-it-yourself DNA industry is projected to grow rapidly in the next years, and the current industry estimates that roughly 1 in 25 Americans have access to their generic uh, or to their genetic DNA. Here's the thing: when you look back at the Bible in Matthew, and when you look at Luke, there was no missing ancestry problem there in Israel in the first century. The Jewish citizen who cared to know about uh, his ancestors. Uh, could do so. These facts were recorded and maintained in the temple records in Jerusalem. Lineage and careful records were important to the people, determined to maintain their identity in the midst of the turmoil of the ancient world, but also to understand their heritage as part of the various tribes of Israel's sons. So those records were all the more important when it came to identifying the royal line of the ancient Hebrew kings. If lineage was important to anyone, it was especially so in the royal family. We find such lineage in Matthew's gospel. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading 1 through 18. Matthew 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amimadab, and Amimadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, 
and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jerokin, and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jehoiakim, sorry, there we go, Jeconiah, the father of Shatiel, and Shatiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Elikim, and Elikim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Elhud. And Elhud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the, deport, to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. That is the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this list of names that point us to many great truths. Pray that you would help us to understand just a few this morning as we look at this text as we meditate on it, as we think about the wonder that it reveals about your son Jesus and his coming. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There are incredibly interesting factors going on here that we really need to grasp uh, to understand the importance of this Jewish genealogy list and what it means to us. Uh, to begin with, the first two words of Matthew, Biblios Geniasos is translated the book or a record of the genealogy. And this really should point us back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 and Genesis 5 1 where the same exact phrasing is used in the Greek Old Testament. It suggests to us that the, that the coming of Jesus is a new beginning. It is a new creation. It is a new covenant, if you will. As a matter of fact, if you'll flip over in your Bible away from Matthew, it should have a little cover page that says the New Testament, which really means the new covenant. And so, that, this is incredible. Secondly, the thing that I want you to see is that list also begins with Abraham, the patriarch of the book of Genesis, from whom Israel traced its origin, and then it leads on to David, the first true king of Israel. It continues down the royal line of Judah to the point where its monarchy was destroyed at the exile to Babylon, and then it takes us to the birth of Jesus the Christ. So these divisions here, three sets of 14 generations, emphasizes these turning points, as scholars point out, though this genealogy is incomplete. Several names have been left out. While our current uh, culture, in terms of um, thinking of exact details and, and issues of that nature, may struggle with this, crying foul, see the Bible writers were wrong, there's a problem here. Scholars note that it was common 
among the Jews to leave out unimportant names to help children especially to remember the list or, or names. But there's another reason here that's very important that scholars point out. And that reason relates to that of theological emphasis. Often in Scripture, an author desires, when an author desires to underline something theologically significant, it's, he'll do things of this nature. Here is the fact that this is not just a typical genealogy. It is a genealogy that is designed to teach us something about the identity of who this person is. So it is clear from the very first sentence that the author desires to emphasize David and Abraham up to the point of Jesus, perhaps to show that Jesus fulfills the two great promises laid out in the Old Testament Scriptures to us to those men, David and Abraham. To Abraham, God said, your seed will bring a blessing to all nations. And then to David, he said, upon the throne of David, a son of David will rule and sit forever. And so today as we look at this family tree with perhaps the real desire to maybe move on past this. I don't know if you've ever done that. You're reading through Chronicles or something. And you're like, okay, I'm skimming this list. I've done that. I'm just being honest with you. There is something here for us to see. Something in the story that the author demands us to slow down and to think about and to consider. Really, as you unpack this list, it has so many lessons for us. In fact, the more I read over it, the more I see. And the more I read other people's thoughts this week, the more I read those, I was like, there's so much here. Who could ever cover this thing in weeks and weeks and weeks? It is truly amazing. It is a treasure, these first 17, 18 verses. So as we think about that, Matthew begins his book to the Jewish community at large with the answer to the question, who is this child Jesus? Who is He? And this morning we're going to look at two important aspects that will help us know more of just who this child was and is and what it means for us. We'll look at, first of all, Jesus' genealogy witnesses to the anticipated Messiah And then secondly, Jesus' genealogy witnesses to the grace of a Savior. So as we consider the first point, Jesus' genealogy witnesses uh, to the anticipated Messiah. Again, it's easy to read over these verses and to move on. And we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But for the recipients of this letter, this was meant to appeal to them. It was meant for them to see Jesus and that He was the anticipated Messiah from the Old Testament. And so all that Matthew is about to reveal in the book, the whole book, hinges on this fact. To understand Jesus, we need the Old Testament. Just as to understand the Old Testament, we need Jesus. The history is redemptive and anticipates the coming of this child. So if you go back into the book of Genesis, you will read about the fall of mankind. How Adam turned away from the words of God and believed the serpent, the devil. And therefore, sin entered the world. Sin and rebellion against the Creator God. After this, the world fell into incredible chaos. 
You, you read about it, and, and God almost repents of creating the world. And after the world fell into this chaos, you think about the behavior of mankind. You have the first murder. You have stealing. You have lying. You have rape. You have human sacrifice. You have depravity. You have man's inhumanity to man. All came in a flood, if you will. Um, I'm going to say something that offends some people, not some people here, but anybody that listens to this. I was telling Krista this week that I read an article about um, if you, if like in colleges, college professors are telling their students, don't, don't type in all capital letters, it's going to offend someone. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I worry for this country at times, I'm not kidding you. Because if you look at history, history is so graphically Violent. And when you look at that and you look at where we are in the fall, it's, it's, it's amazing. We're living in America on, 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 on borrowing from the gospel is what we're doing. And it's, and it's frightening to me. So, so pray, it's a little silent. So pray for our nation as, as you think about that. Because all of these things that we see here are going on around us, but it's almost like we just wash it away but nothing like that was that happened when the fall first occurred and, and mankind was warring and all these terrible things. It's really awful. Like I said, it came in with a flood and then God dealt with it with a flood. And then man started to rebuild and he built a tower, if you remember. And then you see you move away from that tower as, as mankind was kind of spread out all over the globe. And then in chapter 12, we see something quite amazing. So what you're seeing is a whole world rebelling against God. I'm not saying there were not believers during that time, because there were. But there's a whole world rebelling against God. But then God revealed a plan. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, He calls to Abram and He says this, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you catch that? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then when you move to a couple chapters later, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God further expands this understanding, saying, If your offspring, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And then Paul points out further, if you flip on over into the New Covenant portion of the Bible in Galatians 3, he says that Jesus is the seed promised here. It's not seeds, plural, it's seed. The son of Abraham. So Jesus is the great figure of expectation that was promised to Abraham. Now, this long-awaited promised Messiah is also the restorer of God's kingdom. 
So Jesus is, as the text says in verse 1, also the son of David. So he's the son of Abraham, the one that was long expected, and he is also the son of David. There was great hope in Jesus' day for a king to come and to restore Israel from its former glory. They had desired liberation from all Roman oppression. This hope and desire were based on the promise that the Lord gave David that he would one day have a son, an heir to sit on his throne who would bring a golden age of strength and blessing to the people of Israel as seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So this forever king would subdue the kings of the earth. He would rule them with an iron scepter, says the psalmist in Psalm 2. Jesus is called the son of David nine times in the book of Matthew. And so that's a central emphasis of what he's communicating here. The long promised heir of David, the Messiah. So the first great truth that we learn from this genealogy is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Now understand, you've heard different people use the term Jesus Christ. Christ is not His last name. Okay? That's not His last name. That's, that's the way it sounds, but that's not His last name. It, 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 it has this idea of, of meaning um, anointed one. It's, it's a title. So to be anointed, to be set in title uh, as the anointed one, is to be set apart and empowered by God for the task that He appoints. So let's dig a little deeper. If we go to His name, His given name, which is Jesus, it, in Hebrew, it is Yeshua, Joshua. And we see that um, uh, what He was anointed for, because Joshua means the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. In other words, He is the one sent by God to deliver Israel from her sin and oppression. So Jesus is the one who is sent to address the problem that lies at the root of all pain and all suffering and all sorrows and all hatred and all wickedness and all of man's inhumanity to man. He came to address the issue of sin. The Messiah came to address the issue of sin. So Jesus was the anticipated Messiah from the Old Testament. The one to come. The one who is a blessing not only to the Jews, but to the whole world. So the question is, is, what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean? The long-awaited promised Messiah is the restorer of God's kingdom. And He is the redeemer of His people. And this is Jesus. What Matthew is telling us is that no one else, there's no one else, you can look at the records. You will find no one else that fulfills this. Doesn't it break your heart that in A.D. 70, when the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed it, all this stuff was destroyed. There is no records today. And, and, and just like the curtain split, it's like God said, this is my Son, the Messiah. Know this. And this is not the only proof that Matthew is offering, but he's beginning with this. So again, as you think about, do I trust the Lord? Do I know the Lord? Do I really look to Him? The evidence is overwhelming. It's laughable that people try to dispute it. Also, this 
uh, passage and calling Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham, it shows that God is faithful to his promises. Think about that for a moment. He tells Abraham, go, I'll take care of you. And from you, there'll be one that's going to bless your, not only your family, but the whole world. And from Abraham, throughout all of those generations, 14, 14, 14, God shows, I keep my promises. Do you believe that? Do you hold on to that? Is that truth for you? I told you that I, I'm disturbed sometimes by our, 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 our thinking in America. And, and you know, I, I see it in the church too. It, it very much hurts my heart. This week, uh, I know everybody read the news or heard the news about the, uh, John Chow who was killed in India. And, and what, you know, the world's going to say what it's going to say. But uh, one of my friends had a blog or some posts up, and I saw these Christians after Christians after Christians just going after this guy. And even bringing up, you know, like you probably read, he was going to take diseases to these people. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. You're worried about disease when these people are going to hell? Are you nuts? It frightens me for the church today. If that is the church today, to be honest with you, I want no part of it. Because that is not the God of the Bible. I want you to think about who went and did crazy stuff. Let's start with Paul. Shipwrecked. Beaten. I mean, think about the things that man went through. How could you do that? You might be taking diseases to those people. Really? It infuriates me. Because that is not the God we, that is not the God we serve in this church. And I, and, and I looked at that and I saw some other words and I'm like, is this really the church of America today? Where there is no courage. Kathleen and I were talking about it um, one day this week, or right after the women's Bible study, and we were just talking about how we're praying that this will cause people to, to have a heart for the gospel in the world that's lost. I mean, you think about not only Paul, but, but Peter, and you think about you know, all of those men were crucified or, or killed for their faith, except for John. And then you move on up through the, the book of uh, Fox's Martyrs and look at them over and over and over again. And go back in the Old Testament, look at the prophets who were killed. Jesus said so. Um, go read the story of John Patton, Presbyterian minister to the New Hebrides. Go and read the story of Jim Elliott and, and Nate Saint. Go and read uh, the story of, of uh, Bruce Olson. Foolishness. Foolishness. Is this man who he says he was? Is this child the Messiah? Then we must live for him. We must trust in his promises that they are true. No matter what occurs in our country. No matter what occurs in our households. No matter what comes our way. Especially because of our faith. We must trust that this is who this child is. And we must proclaim his name. 
Let's look at our second point. Jesus' genealogy witnesses to the grace of the Savior. In in verse 18, we see that Mary uh, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, now that is extremely significant. And even in that whole, you know, the Messiah discussion, we're touching a little bit into that aspect here. Um, But in terms of being Christ and the child, I want us to look more today at His human bloodline in the first 17 verses. But I felt like that 18th verse was important to to this list because you see that Jesus comes from a human list, but He's also God, so He's the man God. So that's important. He's the man God. But I want to focus a little bit more on the first 17 verses here as as expressed in the Revelation because I think it's important for us. So Jesus came down from heaven, but He is among men as He appears on earth. And He is a part of our race, actually. He is part of the human race. He is God and He is man. Jesus has ancestors, in other words. He has relations. His bloodline runs all the way from Abraham to whom the promises were made. We talked about this. Now here, the family tree tells us an amazing story, and I want you to think of it. He comes, first of all, from the line of kings. Now what's interesting about the line of kings here is some that are listed are good, while others are great sinners. When we, you know, now listen, they're all, we're all sinners, but some are greater than others, okay? And so here we see this. Also, Matthew mentions in the Jewish culture, no less, which is amazing, four women in the genealogy. And two are a mixed bag. One of them he mentions, he doesn't mention her by name, which is interesting, isn't it? First of all, there's Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah, who played the role of a prostitute. There's Rahab, the Gentile Canaanite prostitute from Jericho who helped the Jews conquer the city of Jericho. There's Ruth, the Moabitess, redeemed by Boaz. And there's Bathsheba, who is not mentioned by name here, but her story is Bathsheba, the illicit adulterous lover turned wife of David and mother of King Solomon. Finally, what we see here is a, a list of people like, um, uh, I can't say the word, I'm not going to say that word, Shatil, Azar, Eleazar, and as you read these words, these names of these people, you say, these, you say this to yourself, who are they? I don't even know them. I don't know who these people are. Why are they here? They're faceless people. They're storyless people. It's like they've just been thrown in there. And they have, and I think that's the point. It's quite fitting if you think about it. These are the people in exile. They're in exile. Or they've come back from exile. There are people who have lost everything or who have returned under an occupied Israel that was at birth still occupied now by the Romans. They were broken. They were battered. They were yearning. Now here's the thing in all that. Kings, bad, good, ugly, prostitutes, Gentiles, women, people we don't know anything about. What does all that mean? This is Jesus' family tree. These are the people that He was born through. 
This is who he is. This Jesus was the humble God man. And he came to this planet born of a lowly woman in a lowly stable and he was, he, he was put to bed in a feed trough. This Jesus condescended in humiliation from the very presence of royalty, from the very presence of God the Father. And he became one of us. It's amazing. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus came through this line of of, of this, this group of people? It means that the gospel is for all people. Think of the Molly crew that is Jesus' family tree. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, rich, poor, settled, unsettled, adulterers, adulteresses, kings and servants, godly and ungodly, low lives, high lives, and prostitutes. Would you say that there are skeletons in Jesus' family? What kind of family tree do you come from? What skeletons are in your closet? I bet if we were to sit down together and reminisce over a a nice hot cup of coffee or a great uh, glass of wine, you could uh, lay out for me, um, uh, as you look back over your golden Christmas memories and magic, that you would also at the same time point out severe family conflicts. That you would point out uncomfortable moments where Uncle Billy, drunk as a skunk, said something he shouldn't have said. Where fractured relationships exist among family members. Families are complicated things, aren't they? Sometimes fractures and tensions... And that branch of the family over there (laughs) that no one ever talks about are not nearly so easy to bury beneath the veneer of Christmas sentiment, are they? In fact, it's often at Christmas time when everyone says, we're supposed to be full of joy. I'm going to hold, whose phone is that? Oh, Brian, your phone's ringing. All right, all right. <laughs> Sorry. It always happens at that right moment. Satan just. It's often at Christmas time when everyone says we're supposed to be full of joy, that our heartaches and our family feuds hurt the most, don't they? It turns out that no matter how much tinsel and how much gift wrapping we apply to it, for some of us, at least Christmas time has a habit of unmasking the inescapably complicated mess of our lives. And those issues, those skeletons in Jesus' family tree are just the kind of people Jesus came to save. And He comes to save them today. This means also 
that God came to heal the broken. He was sent through the bloodline of a particular people, a peculiar people, through peculiar circumstances, like all of us, to give His life to redeem the lost and the enslaved to sin. And so Jesus is the child of promises and princes. He is the child of prostitutes and pagans. He is the child of providence and salvation. He is exactly the Savior we need. Because we all need rescuing. Because we're all sinners. Will you embrace Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of God, the Son of Man? Here's the thing. While your ancestry may be important, your direct link to the bloodline of Christ is the most important thing you could ever discover or embrace. Will you trust Him today? Let's pray.